Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. If you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to John chapter 11. If you need a Bible that you can uh, put in your lap, there's some on the sides of the tech booth. If you're a user of the Bible app, feel free to open up the app and find our live event and track along. A big hello to those of you watching online. Thanks so much for joining us. Anything that you want to communicate to us, just let us know uh, via the comment section of whatever platform uh, you're watching on. We're working our way through the Gospel of John. Uh, Jarrett just ripped it up last week in uh, uh, talking about Lazarus. And I, I wanted to, uh, we're going to step into the last little part of John chapter 11. And we're going to look at two very different uh, responses um, to Jesus. That, that's kind of our plan to get us, though, at that point where we feel this a little bit. Oh, by the way, by the way, can we just call, can I call a, a, like a sermon timeout for just a second? Is that okay? Okay. Timeout. Uh, Donna Sharon Rice just completed 55 years of marriage, y'all, this week. That's a long time, y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yesterday. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. That's a long, 55 years. Incredible. Okay, time in. Um, so, so in order, I just wanted to, that's worth celebrating. Somebody hits that kind of milestone, that's worth celebrating. So uh, in order for us to feel this a little bit, in order for us to feel this a little bit, here, here's what I want. Um, there are two very different responses to this statement. You ready? Texas A&M is a great university. See, the cult is alive and well. And we, the persecuted minority, um, know that, that it is uh, different than, than that. Uh, Tyler messaged me earlier and he said, um, cilantro, cilantro should go on everything. Anybody? Some of you are fans. Some of you, uh, not so much. If you grew up around Texas, you will have a unique response to this one. You ready? A chili is supposed to be made without beans. There's some yes beans people over here. We know who they are. Two very different responses. Um, and, and today, I, that, that's kind of where we are. We're feeling this a little bit. And I want us to step into the story starting in, in John chapter 11, verse 45. Now we're going to read into chapter 12. So keep your Bibles handy, uh, but uh, we're going to start in verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, what, he did, what had he done? He had just raised Lazarus uh, from the dead. They believed in him. And that was the whole point of the sign. But, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Because there will always be people in your class who go tell the teacher when something cool happens. Yeah? It's just how that is. Verse 47. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? This man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. <laughs> and the Romans will come and take both away, uh, away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas who was high priest that year, said to him, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand. It is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Okay, I want to just pause there. We'll pick back up in just a second. But I want to talk about two, two responses, two very different responses to Jesus and to the miracle that had happened with Lazarus. Um, the, the first one is the word expedience. 
Expedience. Expedience is getting from here to there just as quickly and as easily as possible. And really, that, that is what um, is happening here in this last little section of John chapter 11. There are uh, political and social and cultural and thought leaders of the day who gather together and they're looking for some version of an expedient response to who Jesus is and what he has done. They want to get from here to there as quickly and as painlessly um, as possible. And that, that works itself out in a couple of ways. And I just want to highlight them, okay? Uh, number one, it, it puts it puts my concerns at the center. Look again at verse 48. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So they, they were concerned about following rules. Thus, somebody went off and, you know, tattled on the teacher. They tattled to the teacher about what Jesus was doing. But also, they had a significant amount of embarrassment that was still with them, carried forward um, from John chapter 9. Jesus heals the man who was born blind. You remember this? And uh, the Pharisees, they had, no, they had no response to this. They brought the guy in and was like, hey, man, uh, what, what happened to you? And he's like, honestly, I don't know. I woke up this morning not seeing, and today I'm looking at your ugly mugs right now. That's, that's, that's a day right there. And they're like, well, tell us again what happened. He's like, Look, I just told you what happened. Can you please just let, like, leave me alone? Do you want to become his disciples? And they, being who they are, they kicked him out and, you know, all this stuff. And they were embarrassed because they had no response to this. But, but it wasn't just that. It wasn't just embarrassment. They, they were uh, afraid of the loss of prestige. Again, the Romans are going to come. They're going to take away our place, our nation. Um, they had a loss of prestige. They had a loss of position that they were worried about. And ultimately, a loss of power. Um, th- these kind of political leaders were worried about a loss of prestige, a loss of position, and a loss of power. These political leaders... We're worried about a loss of prestige, a loss of position, and a loss of power. I wish the Bible were relevant. <laughs> but what we know is that that's, it, it's not even the situation. It's not the circumstance. It's not the person. It's not their actions. What becomes the center is me and my concerns. That's what it looks like when we are responding to Jesus with a sense of expedience instead of, of what we'll see here in just a second. That, that's just the first part. Uh, secondly, um, when they gather together, this is verse 47. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council. Again, this kind of ruling um, political group. And they said, what are we to do? This man performs many signs. So you know, what, what undergirds that? What, how did they pull that together? Or excuse me, why? Why did they pull that together? It's fear. It's fear. They pull together and go, what are we going to do, guys? we got to set up a war room. We've got to have a meeting. we got to do this thing. My guess is, is that you, if you encounter something like this, uh, you didn't necessarily set up a, uh, you know, a place where you could get all your uh, you know, people together and sit in a room and figure it out. Or you didn't gather a council or anything like that. Our version of that is social media. Well, this happened today and I'm kind of looking for some advice or affirmation or whatever. So I'm going to put this out there and just make sure that people know what's going on and they should be on my side. Fear. Here's the thing. We can talk about fear or we can take it to God. And I promise you better than posting, better than gathering a council, better than having a meeting, better than any of those things. 
is taking that fear to God. Because why? The scripture, when it has all of these verses, all of these commands, all of these um, stories about people who experience fear, people who are overwhelmed by fear, people who struggle with fear. And what did they do over and over and over again? The commands, the examples, what did they do? They took it to God. They didn't gather. They, they, they took it to God. They were like, God, we don't know what to do. And so we're just going to do what we know to do. We're going to talk to you about this. They take this to God. One particular um, place, uh, some of the uh, men in the church, we've been studying um, the Psalms for a couple of weeks on Wednesday night. Uh, by the way, if you're a man, you want to come study the Psalms with us, we'd love to have you um, on Wednesday evening. But it, it, this is the one that's coming up this week, Psalm 3. Uh, it's, it's, uh, just listen to it. A Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. So just context is, uh, there was a, a coup on his kingdom. And it came from his own family. So it was betrayal on two fronts. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, oh Lord, are a shield about me. You are my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried to the Lord. Uh, excuse me. I cried aloud to the Lord. And he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again because the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have, they have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. That doesn't sound like any social media post I've ever heard. That sounds like David crying aloud to the Lord and going, God, if you don't see me through this, if you don't deal with the things that are out there in front of me, not only is it going to overwhelm me, but like all of the things that you want to do with me, all of that will become a, a, a thing that you, you're just going to have to figure out. So I'm putting this in your hands. Church family, 2024, we're a month into it. It will give us plenty of opportunities to fear. It will. What will we do with that? We can take it to the Lord. And I think that's what we should do. Secondly, it, and I just pause here. These people, these people who gathered, chief priests, Pharisees, scribes, all that council, they were steeped in the scriptures. Like they knew the scriptures backward and forward. And yet still, they gathered together to talk about their fear rather than talking to God about their fear. Last thing. Verse 49, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it's better for uh, you that one man should die for the people, um, not that the whole nation should perish. What do we have here? Expedience looks like Jesus becomes a pawn. I, I don't play a lot of chess, like hardly ever, mainly because my son started kicking my tail and I quit. So, I mean, let's just put that on... <laughs> What I know about the pawn is it kind of leads the way and is out there in front. This, Jesus becomes that thing that we're just willing to move around to try to accomplish our ends. Church family, listen to me. Jesus has always been a pawn in political people's games. 
He always has been. This is, this is what he's talking about um, right here. But here, you cannot, you cannot, he will not. He will not be used ultimately for people's political ends. You could try. You, you could take a little saying of Jesus and then kind of apply it to your preference or to your um, aspiration. You can take or even do the actions of Jesus, but if you don't do them with his intention, you're missing out on his agenda and the kingdom um, altogether. You cannot use Jesus as a pawn. He is not a spokesman for any particular political platform, and he is not a mascot. So kids up here, watch me. Somebody identify this guy right here. Who's that? Who? Yeah, Toro, the mascot for what team? The Texans. Yeah, the local football team. That we're glad it's not the Cowboys. Okay, he, what kind of animal is he, kiddos? A bull. Okay, great, 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 great. Would you ever mistake Toro for a real bull? No, because if he were a real bull, he would probably not do this. <laughs> now, I've never seen a bull skydiving before, but if I saw one, uh, or, or you would not mistake it for a real bull, because surely a real bull would not pose in a picture like that. <laughs> Just because he's a mascot and sort of represents a bull doesn't mean he's a real bull. Just because G people claim Jesus as the mascot for their particular side of whatever aisle that they may be on, doesn't mean that they're actually claiming the real Jesus. Now, listen, I'm going to step down here because this, we're going to just, I've been off for a couple of weeks. I've just had this stuff rolling around in me. Political as I'm going to ever get in here, this is it right here. 2024 is an election year. In case you have forgotten in the last 34 seconds. People stoke fear. They use it as a motivator and they use it as a currency. We, as the people of God, will vote our conscience and that is an incredible privilege. There are brothers and sisters in Jesus who are a part of his kingdom that we will spend eternity with who do not have that privilege. We are a part of a democratic republic and amen for that privilege. There are people who will vote differently from you in here and amen for that too because this is how they see the world and think that they're supposed to do. Here's the thing. We get to vote for a president, but church family, we follow a king. Don't forget that. We are a part of a democratic republic, but our allegiance is to a kingdom. Don't forget that. If, if you and I want to have a nation, a country, that is reflective of things that, um, that Jesus is doing. You know who is responsible for reflecting those things? We are. We are. And so we're going to take the words of the psalmist to heart. Put not your trust in princes or presidents, but instead let your trust be in the Lord. For all of the things that are out there that will come this year or won't, for all of the people who will win or will lose, guess what? We still follow a king. And it will be true four years from now, and eight years from now, and 400 years from now. We follow a king. Don't, don't lose that in the midst of all the hubbub and craziness that is. Don't, don't lose that. Expedience. 
getting from here to there as easily and as painlessly as possible. Just note a couple of things here as this rest of this unfolds. Verse 51, he, that's Caiaphas, did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Sometimes we say things and it reveals our heart, but it's, we're also saying more than we even know. Um, in the Old Testament, God used a donkey to speak to Balaam. And in this particular case, we got Caiaphas, a high priest, saying far more than he knew. Keep reading verse 52 here. And not for the nation only, but to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Listen, um, they wanted relief out of the circumstances. Roman oppression, bad deal. Let's get out of that. Uh, uh, Jesus disrupting the social order, bad deal. Let's get out. They wanted relief. Jesus, though, wants to draw people into relationship. That's what it says right there. He, he wants to bring people in. He, he would die for the sins of the world, including these people who are scheming against him. Verse 53, so from that day, they, they made plans to put him to death. Verse 54 now. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from uh, there to the region near the wilderness, a town called Ephraim. That's uh, a couple of days walk away, maybe. And there he stayed with his disciples. And now the Passover, the Jews was at hand and went up... Um, Many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus, saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? Will he not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees, they had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know uh, uh, so that they might arrest Jesus. But here's the thing. Jesus is going to keep doing what he's doing, and he's going to do that with or without our permission. It just doesn't matter. He's going to do it. He's the king. He's the king. Rather than expedience... There's another picture because these people saw Jesus as a threat to their standing. Um, Mary, who we'll read about here in just a second, uh, saw Jesus as the miracle worker who was worthy of everything that she could possibly give. And so as a result of that, we have this picture right here of, um, I, I don't have another word for it. It is extravagant in its worship. It's extravagance. Here we go. Verse, chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. So he scooted back into the, if you will, to the suburbs of Jerusalem. This is where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Can we just pause right there? Does that, if for anybody who knows anything about Martha in the Bible, Martha serving, is that an abnormal thing? No, girlfriend was always doing stuff like that. And what I would say to every Martha in the room, be your name Martha or your temperament Martha, fantastic. People are blessed by your service. She gets a bad rap sometimes. Here's what I would tell you. Uh, just don't let that be the only way that you relate to Jesus. Mary, therefore, took a pound um, of expensive um, nard, uh, ointment, excuse me, made from pure nard. And anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the per perfume. I just want to do a little work there in verse 3 for just a second. Give you three words to think about extravagance. Number one, um, sacrifice. Sacrifice. Uh, this would have been a, a, a vase, close to a vase with a, a top there. You can't just pour this stuff out. You would have to break the neck of it. So, so probably an, uh, an inheritance gift or something like that, something of incredible value. And she's taking it in that moment and sacrificing it. Now, here in just a second, oh, well, let's just read down. Uh, <clears throat> verse uh, 4, Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, why was it this ointment not sold for 300 denarii? 
and give it to the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, you need to leave her alone. You need to leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the, uh, something like keep the memory uh, for the day of my burial. For the poor, you always have with you. You don't always have me. So um, 300 denarii. Anybody up to speed on your biblical, you know, compensation? HR? Nothing? Okay. Um, a denarius was a day's wage for a day laborer. Okay. So 300 denarii puts us in the ballpark of a year's worth of salary. Uh, some of you, uh, you know, you 40, 50, 60,000, some of you 150,000, just put it in your brain, whatever it is for you, and just say almost a year's worth of salary. This is what she poured out. Almost a year's worth of salary. This is what she invested, not just like in a forever moment, but like in this moment right here. It was sacrifice. Why? Because worship always is. The way that you declare the worth of something is by offering a sacrifice that is reflective of its worth. This is what Mary did. You can't claim worship without sacrifice. It's through that sacrifice that you declare its worth. So in here, when we gather, let's just think about this for just a second. When we sing, sometimes, man, some of you, I mean, earlier, you were honking on a couple of those songs. You were like, let's get it. Some of you are looking at it like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm not so sure about victory in Jesus. It feels a little bit more like a draw, you know, like it's, you know, even Stephen, it's a tie. But you sing it because he's worthy of that sacrifice. Some of you come in here, um, uh, the way that you pray in moments like that, you're like, oh. I just have to lay it down before God. And you're setting not only your physical movement and that kind of thing to set it before God, but you're just spiritually unloading on God. It is a sacrifice that shows just how worthy. Some people think, oh, prayer can't really be worship. No, 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 no. Of course it is. Because when I pray and I take the anxiety or or frustration or um, whatever I have, and I say, God, here's the deal. This is what I care about right now. I'm giving it to you. Cast all of your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. What are you saying? God, you can handle this. I cannot. I can't. To prayer. Gifts, the way that you give, the way that you encourage one another. And not just in here, though, because it's not just, Jesus isn't just worthy when we gather. Jesus is worthy when we scatter as well. And so some of you will step into environments, step into work situations, step into classrooms, step into relationships, step onto ball fields, step into any number of other places. And you, in your life, get to declare the worth of God through the way that you interact through the way that you encourage people, through the way that you um, uh, speak, through the way that you witness, through the way that you engage people who are sitting beside you on the bleachers and you're just like, are her kids ever gonna, you know, okay. And then you engage them. Hey, you know, do you go to church anywhere regularly? And you get into those kinds of conversations. All of it is fragrant. the, The fragrance of it filled the house. Church family, when we declare the worth of God with our lives, guess what? It affects other people. Their lives, they can smell it on us, and their lives become different as a result. Second thing I just want to set before you here uh, is the, uh, the word agreement. Uh, Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and 
anointed the feet of Jesus. And the, the reason why I use the word agreement there is she's bringing her actions into line with what she already knows to be true about Jesus. She's anointing the anointed one. He's the Messiah. It literally means the anointed one. They saw it at his baptism. The spirit comes down over and over again. We got all of these um, regular demonstrations that Jesus is the anointed one. And what is she doing? She's anointing him. And in doing so, she's just bringing her life into agreement with what she knows to be true. Some of us, we got some struggles with that right now. God, I know that you're holy. And I'm doing my best to bring my life into line, but I need some leverage to make that happen. I want to be in agreement. I want my life to be in agreement with you. But right now, gosh, it's a struggle. Some of you, it's not holiness, it's love. God, I know that you're loving. And really just, I mean, this week I had conversations where that broke two different ways. The one way that it went was, and, and God's love is like expansive and moving consistently towards people who would be on the outside, on the outskirts, on the on kind of the, 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 the just beyond the pale. And so his love is moving towards them. And I need to have the courage to move along with his love towards that person in my life. Some of you, though, it's not that kind of love. This is the other way it broke for me just this week in conversation was, um, the, uh, God, I, I, I want to believe that you love me. Over here, it's like, God, I want to believe that you love them, and I want to bring my life into alignment with that. Over here, it's, God, I want to believe that you love me, and I don't have to wrestle with my shame. Stronger than darkness. New every morn. That, that's the mercy I want to experience and live with and the expression of your love towards me that I want to get into and really have in my life. Um, some, it's not love, it, it's sovereignty. God, I want to live, actually live as if you are in control. This past week, um, in, I mentioned the men's Bible study. We did Psalm 2, and uh, it's this awesome psalm. They're like, why did the nations rage? They, they make their schemes. They make their plots. They do all this kind of stuff. And one of my favorite verses in the Psalms, and the Lord, he sits in the heavens and he laughs. <laughs> no. He holds them in derision. That's what it says. Listen. God is in charge. And if Jesus is in charge of the world, if he really does rule and reign over everything, you know what? Those people over there, they're not. That group over there, they're not. Uh, that situation over there, it's not out of control. That particular thing that looks like chaos, it is not chaos to him. I can live without this fear. I can live without fear because God is in control. He's sovereign. Some of you, it's lordship. Jesus, our confession is Jesus is Lord. It's the very thing that makes us Christian in that sense. Jesus is Lord. But what happens is sometimes we're like, Jesus, you can be Lord of all of this other stuff. I got a couple of closets back here, though, that I'd rather you not open because it's pretty dangerous in there. And I, I, don't, I don't think I want that stuff out in the open. God, there's this one particular area of my life that really, honestly, if I could, I mean, you can have like all this other stuff. I, I'm keeping this 2%. You cool with that? It seems like a good deal for you. To bring my life into alignment with his. That's what agreement looks like. And that is what Mary's doing as she is bringing this extravagant expression of worship. Last thing, 
Um, humility. Uh, humility looks like this. She is surrendering her glory for his greater glory. What do you mean by that? Uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians, there's this weird, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. It's a weird passage in, in chapter 11. And part of what it says is uh, the glory of a woman is her hair. Now, for some of us, uh, we don't have any reference over that. You ladies in here, though, I mean, it's important to you. Um, what she's doing, what she's representing is taking the weightiness, the glory, if you will, of her life and leveraging it for his. So what is in your life? What is the weighty part of your life that you are leveraging for his glory, for his fame? That's what humility looks like. There will always be people who say it's not worth it. Judas is busting her chops. I mean, you should have sold that stuff. Inevitably, they have a selfish reason behind that. But she did it while she could. Because she knew. She had heard and she knew what was coming. She, she, she was on board with the agenda that something is going to happen. And this will be worthwhile. What did she know? She knows that Jesus is ultimately going to lay his life down for her, for you for me. She's, Jesus is going to lay his life down. So she's humbling herself right now. He would become obedient to the point of death, even death. This, this is what we're talking about. Jesus would become the sacrifice. He would step into agreement with the Father's will. Listen, not what I want, not what I want, Father, but what you want. If there's any way I can get out of this thing, that's what I want. But I'm telling you, I would rather submit to that. I am agreeing with your plan. And I'm going to humble myself even to the point of death and death on the cross. This is what an extravagant worship response look like. He's not a pawn. He's the king. And that's what we come to remember as we come to communion.